Well, if you're a real estate investor in the United States, the fourth quarter of last year was booming for you. Real estate investors bought a record 18.4% of the homes sold in the United States during the fourth quarter of last year. This, according to the real estate brokerage firm, Red Firm. This is up from 12.6% from a year ago and is up from a revised rate of 17.4% in the third quarter of last year. Omni Casey has been a real estate investor for over 20 years. He relishes the opportunity to coach other real estate investors to maximize the value of their income and the impact of their influence on the world of real estate. He joined me this week to have a conversation about real estate trends, investment, and so much more. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's talk real estate on this Friday. And let's have this conversation. So just how does a Hawaii native end up in Northern Virginia to accelerate, extend, and elevate a real estate investing career? That's the launching off point in which I began my conversation. I appreciate that. Yeah, I did start in Hawaii and career arcs, an uh, uh, interesting uh, term. I guess that makes it sound like I'm, I'm done. Um, I'm, I'm never, uh, I don't think I'll ever be done doing what I do, but uh, I do try to find ways to kind of shift and pivot throughout my, my career. About every 10 years, I do find a, a way to pivot. Um, but I started in Hawaii, uh, almost 20 years ago as a real estate investor and, and, um, you know, just got fascinated with real estate investing, grew up in a, a fairly entrepreneurial family and, um, love business. Um, and it turns out real estate investing is just an amazing business. And if you understand how to run the bet business and run the numbers of it, it can be an amazing business as well. So I shifted into the investing side, eventually got into the licensed retail brokerage side. Um, and, and that's an amazing business as well. So I did that in Hawaii and about 10, maybe 11 years almost 12 years now, actually, I'm terrible with dates, um, moved out uh, to Northern Virginia. That's where my wife's from. Her family's out this way. And so uh, the beauty of real estate is you can make it work anywhere you want and you can do it remotely for the most part. And so I, I was able to uh, shift, uh, move out here close to her family, great, great area in Loudoun County, Northern Virginia, and uh, continue my investing and my real estate brokerage, um, you know, kind of businesses. So that's what I do uh, to this day as well. Happy life equals, happy wife equals a happy uh, life, I, doesn't that's it? That's the formula, absolutely. And 
uh, core principle of what to do Omni is also about building wealth and helping other agents achieve uh, financial freedom. So I'm wondering why a mentorship is so important to you as well. Yeah, that's that's a great question. I, I throughout my career, um, mentors have played such an important role. Uh, I believe there's there's three things everyone needs. You need both coaches, you need mentors, and you need mastermind groups, and they all play a different role. But the mentor side is usually a peer. It's usually a peer in, in the business, someone that's maybe just ahead of you, willing to kind of uh, take you by the hand or maybe let you, um, you know, partner on a deal and see what they're doing. So both on the investing side, I benefited from mentors. And then when I got into the agent brokerage side, I, I had great mentors. And when I got into coaching and training uh, and, and running an office, I had great mentors that did that as well. And so I think I've been fortunate. Um, and, and I think my skill set was being able to find those mentors, add value to them so that they can see the benefit of taking me on and, and letting me learn from them, but um, really fast tracks your learning uh, no matter what you do. So whether it's on the business side or like I said, on the, uh, the financial freedom, the wealth building side, uh, mentors will, will help you get to where you want to go usually much quicker. And tell me, uh, I'm wondering your thoughts on the keys to building uh, financial wealth and uh, freedom as a real estate investor. Yeah. So, um, and, and it's an interesting concept. It gets talked about a lot, financial freedom. So um, I love earning money. I'm not, you know, I love the game of earning money and it's, it's, you know, figuring out ways to, to create and earn money. Um, and I, and on the brokerage side, the hat I wear when I'm a broker, coach, coach and trainer, um, I have close to a hundred real estate agents that I coach and train to help them grow their business. And so that hat is helping them earn money. The reality is it's still a job, right? It's a re very cool job, very rewarding job. It's a business, but if they weren't working every day, if I wasn't doing what I was doing every day, there's no active income coming in, in that role. And so I'm a firm believer that regardless of what you do for active income, whether you're a real estate agent, you can get active income as a real estate investor, like fixing and flipping that that side of the investment side is still active income because the moment you stop fixing and flipping, there's no income coming in or whether you're working in a law firm or a teacher, right? So that active income is separate from your wealth building and separate from your financial freedom. And really, I spend a lot of time talking about passive income. How can you generate passive income, income that comes in, probably you're going to work hard in the beginning to get that passive income up and running, but once it's set, you don't have to um, really do anything with it. It just kind of comes in. And I believe passive income is worth so much more than active income. So a dollar in passive income is worth probably 10 times as much as a dollar of active income and one that's tax benefits. But obviously the, 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 the huge thing is you're not committing your time. So once you stack a small passive income, you have the time to go do something else and another create another passive income and hopefully a passive income for life that just keeps coming in. So I talk about passive income a lot. My favorite form of passive income is rental properties, um, various types of rental properties, but I do mostly multifamily, small to mid-sized multifamily rental properties, um, not managed by me, because if I was managing it, that's active and that's a job. I hire people and good uh, good team members to manage and run those uh, rental properties so that I have the passive income. So most of what I do is I, I help other people learn how to do what I've done as well.
And how many others, based on your experience, I'm, I'm wondering, how do you uh, determine the factors for a good real estate investment? As a real estate investor, what factors do you look at in order to determine whether you have made a solid a real estate investment? I get that question a lot and it's hard to, it's hard because there's no one answer. The reality is there's no one answer. It really depends on what your goals are as an investor, because I can buy a property and it could be amazing for me and my goals of cash flow, but it might not meet the goals of another investor that doesn't need cash flow and they want, um, you know, wealth building, they want appreciation or they want something else, right? So uh, there's several wealth triggers um, within real estate, we that we take advantage of, um, two of them are our cash flow and the rental income coming in, and your appreciation as well. There's depreciation and tax benefits, so every investor really looks for something different. And so, if you're looking for cash flow, then we analyze it for cash flow. If you're looking for, I don't need cash flow. I want to in five years or ten years have a a 10x, you know, uh, equity growth on this. Um, you know, what sort of projects do I need to get into to try to figure out how to get as close to those goals as possible? So, um, most of the people that that come to me for help want cash flow. You know, get to financial freedom first with cash flow. And so I help them analyze on the cash flow side. There's various rules of thumb. Uh, a very popular rule of thumb that's been around for, for a very long time is called the 1% rule. And uh, what that 1% rule means is if you're buying a property, um, let's just say for simple math, it's $100,000. Um, can it rent for 1% of that every single month? Meaning, can it rent for $1,000 every single month? And if you extrapolate that to the market you're in, let's say the average sales price is $500,000, 1% would be an average rental of $5,000 a month. And obviously, it doesn't scale up in every area. So not every area is a cash flow market, but using rules of thumb like the 1% rule or the 1.5% rule or something along those lines helps you at least target your focus of what you should be looking for. And then you start to analyze your taxes, your insurance, your actual carrying costs on that specific property because um, that those will affect the, the return as well. And, and um, to that point, I'm, I'm uh, wondering your uh, uh, pieces of advice pieces of advice you would give uh, to first-time real estate investors or flippers in order to uh, accelerate their success? Yeah, I, I think um, three pillars, the, the mentors, coaches, and masterminds are important to, to understand and get involved in all three of those. But it's hard to say, I want to be an investor and get into this space because once you say, I want to be an investor or invest in real estate, there are so many different aspects of it, so many different aspects of it. And so uh, you mentioned fix and flip. Fix and flip is completely different than someone that wants to do Airbnb or someone that wants to do triple net leases or someone that wants to do cash flow. So I really, um, I encourage um, people to really find a niche, find something that they're and it doesn't need to be an asset class niche. You know, I know a lot of people want to find an asset class niche, but it's actually easier to determine um, where are you as an investor? And I put investors in three, one of three categories. And this is an oversimplification. It's, it's in my book. I kind of put that, you know, those three categories there. The, the first category um, is really an active income investor. So you're doing your investment activities to earn an active income. And I mentioned this earlier. 
fixing and flipping. That's what, you know, it's on HGTV. Everyone loves that. There's, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, and it's exciting at this, um, gratification of, um, instant gratification of seeing the results of your work. Um, but that is active income. That's a job it's investing, but it really is a job because the moment you stop buying and selling homes, you don't make any money. Wholesaling might be into that same category as well. So that's the active income category. And then the second category is for financial freedom. And that is for a period of time, everything you do, everything you do as an investor goes into your future self, almost like building your retirement um, so that you have enough passive income um, to support yourself when you want to stop making active income. And that's typically, you know, long-term rentals um, is, is probably the biggest category. Um, commercial triple net leases and things like that would fall into that category sometimes as well. And then the third and final category is once you're financially free, then you can start looking at generational wealth. You can start looking at building a legacy and things like that. So um, that's where you're building wealth, you're building equity, and you might do different, maybe even sometimes um, higher risk, higher return um, investments, um, because if they don't all pan out, you want them to pan out, but not everything pans out the way you think it is. You're already set with your financial freedom because you have your passive income from phase two. So it's phase one, phase two, phase three. And that quick explanation, if an investor, even a new investor can say, okay, which one am I in? Do I really need active income? Okay. Then this is what I should learn to do. Do I really need financial freedom? Then this is what I need to learn to do. Or am I already financially free and I'm getting into this after retirement and I just want to build my wealth? then this is a different category because the types of investments that you do differ depending on, on which category you're in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, preparing for this, you know, I mean, I, I'm always looking at inflation and how it affects um, our everyday life. And, and certainly when you talk about real estate investment and buying homes, inflation play, plays a major role in uh, that uh, area of life and our professional sort of realm. So I'm wondering how do you think uh, the rising cost of inflation affects what you do on a daily basis? It's, it's um, so important to understand this, and it's a great question. And it's, it's a more complex question than most people know. Um, you know, when we're recording this, inflation's, you know, north of 7%, which is insane. I remember two years ago, you know, teaching a class and, and it was 5%, you know, getting close to 5%. And so I put a class together about, you know, what does a 5% inflation look like? And it continues to kind of go up and up and up. Um, but when you break down even just inflation on the real estate side, depending on which sector you're in. So, for example, I dive into um, um, uh, new home builder uh, data all the time, because if you track what new home builders are doing, you can track what's happening with the market. And in the last six months alone, I think uh, a report came out where the cost of lumber for one home for a new home builder went up by like $18,000 in the last six months. So just the cost of their lumber package, um, not to mention everything else. So if you see that, okay, new home builder costs them $18,000 more than it did six months ago to build a home for lumber and maybe another, another $10,000 because of the roof and siding and things like that. Um, 
prices have to go up for them to even make break even, let alone make a profit. So that is forcing um, the price to go up. And it's, it's less to do with can people afford it anymore. It's more to do with they're building it. They have to run a profitable business. Now, luckily, um, interest rates have been low for so long and there's so much money in the economy that is leading to prices continuing to trend upwards because of the lack of supply that we see in the market. Um, so I, I look at inflation as, you know, as a whole, you know, um, it, from a retirement and a financial freedom standpoint, it's an enemy to, you know, your plans because many people have this goal of creating a nest egg, right? And, and the nest egg of, if I can make sure I have a nest egg of a million dollars or $2 million or $10 million, whatever it is to support your lifestyle. And if you started that goal five years ago or 10 years ago, it's already irrelevant, you know, because it was factoring in a 2% inflation at best. And so that million dollars target that you're going for, you know, over a 10 year period of a seven year inflation, it's probably worth worth actually less than half of that. So you probably need double of what you thought. And so what I really um, uh, teach people to do is not look at that nest egg number, forget about that million, $2 million, $10 million target. Um, really, it's what is the income? And if you can get that income um, passive income from a source that scales up with inflation, then you are somewhat protected or are able to hedge against inflation. So for example, one of those things are rental incomes that does tend to scale up with inflation, not at the exact rate, but it does scale up with inflation and your expenses don't equally scale up with inflation, especially if you're locking in a 30-year fixed mortgage on a property that doesn't go up when inflation rises. Um, your taxes, your insurance definitely can go up, but that your biggest expense, your mortgage stays the same. So if you are bringing in passive income through rental properties, it does tend to protect you better than saying, I need X amount of dollars in the bank um, in the future. And would you want to mentor agents or or investors who want to get into the business, or or if you look higher than what sort of qualities are important to you when you look to hire or mentor people? It's important. I mean, I, I you know part of me wants to help everyone, and you know I spend a lot of my uh, my um, uh, my time just kind of doting my time. It's not an actual business. I don't charge for coaching or mentoring. You know, I try to help as many people as as I can, just because I feel like I've been blessed because of real estate, particularly real estate investing, and I want to be able to share that knowledge and help people benefit um, their families the way that I have as well. But then I realize, you know, I spend a lot of time with some people, and and they're just not ready or they don't have the same level of motivation maybe. And so um, particularly, for example, when I'm hiring a, an agent to work, that's more of a subcontractor, independent contractor type of role. Um, one, I need them to be hungry. I need them to want it more than I do because I, I get excited for them because I know what's ahead for them and I want it. I really, really want them to succeed as an agent or as an investor or whatever it is. And if they're kind of excited or like, yeah, let me try this out. It usually doesn't work. It says my enthusiasm for them and their future usually is not enough to carry them. So I tell them I'm going to be here in my excitement. This is where I'm going to be. I need you to be here. And if, if at any point you are less excited 
or enthusiastic or you want it less than I do, it's just not going to work for you and it's not a good fit. So I try to set the bar high in terms of excitement for them and, and positivity and, and um, usually set that expectation for, that, for them to have that same level of excitement, enthusiasm, and outlook on what their goals are. And when we talk about uh, first-time buyers or millennial buyers, you know, more and more it's becoming more difficult for millennials to enter the market of either home buying or investing. And I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on why you think that is and why we've become such a a competitive marketplace, uh, specifically for millennials. Yeah, it, it's tough. Um, and I'm, I'm a millennial. I'm probably the oldest millennial. I'm right at the top end of that price point uh, there. Um, but I kind of been seeing this generation, um, you know, uh, holding off on buying for a while, maybe because they learned and they watched the generation, their parents before them and uh, go through a, a, a housing crisis. And maybe that put things off uh, there as well. Um, but but we're seeing an influx of buyers. And a lot of them are millennials and even the next, even Gen X's are, are getting into it as well. Um, so there's just so much demand at the same time. So it, w- it wouldn't be as big of an issue if there wasn't as much demand, but there's so much demand because there's so many buyers. Um, they're also competing with, um, you know, older generations that are selling their home that need to buy as well. And they're competing with a robust investor market, right? A lot of investors out there with cash, um, you know, or a lot of, um, almost seemingly unlimited funds to compete with. Um, so the competition is stiff. And you you pair that with the lack of supply over the last ten years uh, since since the really since the crash the supply of new construction builders um, increasing stock increasing homes has been drastically low well well under what it should have been and you know because a lot of builders went out of business or the ones that sustained they were more cautious on their approach to add new homes. And you, you do that for 10 years, we are, you know, 10 years behind on uh, amount of supply that, that we really need to make this work. So supply and demand issue, and it really comes down to um, if you're a first time home buyer trying to get into this market, you need probably more than ever, someone that knows how to creatively find off market properties for you, even if you're a buyer, not an investor, or someone to help you. Um, you know, give yourself some sort of advantage in negotiations. Because if a seller is looking at 10 or 15 offers and you're just one of those offers, um, yours needs to stand out. It needs to have something unique about it. And that's typically through some sort of, you know, consultation that your your agent, when I buy in a market, it's, it's my agent. I rely on them qu- quite a bit to help me get there. And I'm also uh, fascinated to ask you your perspective on on the whole notion of buying versus renting and, and the notion of if you rent someone, you're effectively throwing money away versus investing in, in building equity. I'm wondering your uh, thoughts and perspective when it comes to that debate as well. Yeah, I, I, I wear a lot of hats. And so one hat that I wear is a real estate agent and broker. And so that hat, if I put that hat on, I'm telling you, absolutely, you should own your home instead of renting your home. 
even if you have no intent to be a real estate investor, because you're not a real estate investor at that point, sure, is it your home potentially an investment at some point? But if you need to spend $2,000 a month for living, for housing, regardless, or $3,000 or $4,000, whatever it is in your area, and you're doing it in owning a home, even if, let's just say the market does not go up, even if the market does not, not go up, just you paying your mortgage pays down that principal and actually builds you up some equity. And at some point you have it long enough, you pay it off, you have a free and clear asset and there's a benefit there. So, so there's a clear benefit. Um, you know, if someone bought a home two years ago, they, they lucked out because one, they thought they were at the top of the market and it turns out it wasn't the top of the market. It went up another 25 to 30%, depending on the market that you're in. And they have a bunch of instant equity right now um, because of that. So it is a timing thing, but once again, if you just factor in less as the investment and more of, I need to spend money to live and I might as well do that and own a home, then, then that's the aspect. Now, the investor side of me, there's a different hat. The investor side of me um, says housing expenses is an expense. And whether you're paying a mortgage or whether you're paying a um, a rent, it's, it's an equal expense because an expense means that's money you can't save up to go actually invest. And so if someone's coming to me and saying, I want to start investing, I want to buy a property, a rental property every year for the next five years or next 10 years, I got to help them figure out how do they reduce their expenses. And it might be go find something very, very cheap to rent, or maybe even better, it might be go find something that they can house hack, go buy a duplex somewhere, live in one side and have the renter next door help pay for your mortgage. So you're reducing your expenses drastically so that you can now save that money to go invest, to go buy something that's going to get you some passive income for life. And when we look at emerging real estate trends, I'm wondering your thoughts on what's catching your eye the most and uh, what has your most excited? Yeah, emerging uh, real estate trends. Uh, there's, you know, on, on both the brokerage side, uh, there's some new uh, innovations happening, which is which is pretty cool. So, um, from the brokerage side, um, we represent a lot of first-time home buyers, um, you know, just buyers that are looking to buy. And although I'm personally an investor myself, I feel for the non-investors out there because they don't have the cash needed to really compete in this market. So, there have been some really really cool tech companies emerging out of this need. And we've just partnered with a tech company um, called Ribbon. And, and, and what they do is they allow our buyers, even if they need to get a 5% down um, you know, loan, they back that loan, basically like an insurance, so that they can switch that offer to make it a cash offer, even if they're not buying cash, right? And so um, that's brand new, like literally as of the last couple of weeks or so. And so it's it's seen these innovations to give the the average home buyer at least um, a fighting chance to compete in this market. Um, so that that's exciting. And then on the investing side, um, I think um, one. A rising tide raises all, all boats, right? So everyone right now is making money in real estate investing. So no matter what you do, it's hard not to make money, um, which which is you know good and bad, you know, because eventually once the market shifts, some people, if they weren't doing it with the right amount of reserves or the right thought in place, they might be the ones that are losing money, you know, if the market shifts at all. But but I think there are some creative strategies because it is so hard to buy right now and the prices are going up. It's forcing us to think of new ways 
to use a, a property, new ways to use that asset. And you're seeing more, I mean, the wave of the uh, Airbnb over the last, you know, five plus years or so, and, and how that turns a normal rental property into an advanced, you know, higher incoming asset. Um, or even co- co-living as an example. People, depending on the region, you might be able to have a co-living situation and have three, four, five, six tenants in a property. And now you're getting 120%, 150% you know, um, of what a normal rental um, would be. And, and that's forcing the creativity in our market. And I think uh, in the long run, um, you know, the investors um, will, will benefit from that creativity and, and we'll see some interesting things in the market. Yeah, I have a few uh, more questions for you. The first is, how do you think is the most effective way to build equity as a homeowner? And if you're looking to make a property attractive, I'm wondering, uh, attractive to an investor, I'm wondering the steps that you can take as a homeowner to accomplish those two goals. Yeah, so if I'm um, looking to build equity as a, as a homeowner, a property that I'm going to live in, then really it comes down to its comps, right? What are, what are the neighborhoods selling for, and can I keep my home in the, the top condition? Um, I, I uh, teach a class. It's it's a difference between adding value or creating value. So adding value is updating your cabinets updating your your countertops from formica to granite or to you know quartz or whatever it is right that's adding value clearly if you go from base level to you know top tier grade quality there's there's some extra value there but creating value is completely different creating value is basically going beyond that scale so for example in this neighborhood that i am um, we're renovating a home right now in Loudoun County the three bedroom two bath market, like the range for a three bedroom, two bath market in that, that market is probably somewhere between 450 and 550. All right. And so, so no matter where I am, I'm somewhere in that range. And to get to that 550, I need the granite countertops. I need the upgraded everything to get there. However, if I'm able to turn it into a four bedroom, three bath and completely change it, right? And and create that value. Now I'm on a different pay scale. Now I'm not between 450 and 550. I'm probably between 575 and 675. And that gives me created value to shoot towards. And so even as a homeowner, you can figure out, are there ways to create value? Am I in a three bedroom? Can I turn this into a four bedroom? You might not need a four bedroom, but if you turn it into a four bedroom or add an extra bathroom, that might completely change uh, where you are on the comp scale. And you know if you're going to sell it at some point, or if you're going to refinance, that increases the amount of equity you're able to pull out of that. And I'm... What are your thoughts also on the, on the notion of how practical experience can help you as a real estate investor or, or a real estate agent? What are your uh, thoughts on that notion of practical life experience helping you in the, the professional realm as well? It's 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 so important. It is um, both as a real estate agent starting out, or as a broker starting out, or as an investor starting out. That was so relevant because um, until the actual experience, it's all theory, right? It's things that you're learning, it's things that you're watching people do, but you don't actually have that experience. And so, um, although I don't like investors doing deals where they're not making a good margin or they're maybe not making money at all. 
I would rather them jump into a deal and break even just to get the experience. Now, don't try to break even, try to make some money. But if, if someone did a, did a deal and they, it was, didn't turn out, something came up, didn't turn out and it turns out they broke even, I would be angry as an investor right now because I don't do deals to try to break even. But from a new perspective, I would say that's, that's great education. You, you just had a master's degree in, in learning how to take your investing game to the next level. And it didn't actually cost you anything. You broke even. Let's say worst case scenario, it costs you $5,000. All right, $5,000 for the education that you learned, the practical experience education that you learned is still not that bad. Um, same thing on the agent brokerage side. Um, sometimes you you are trying to just um, help out other agents and get involved in deals and not even get paid on them, or maybe taking a very, very small percentage of the deal to, to add value to other bigger agents that just need help. I encourage you, uh, if you're a new agent, just to do that. And, and not try to make the most money doing that, you're trying to get that practical experience because that experience is going to give you confidence. Um, and it really, your confidence in yourself is what's going to lead to your growth because until you know that you got it and you really understand it, it's really hard for you to put it out into the world that, yes, I am the top agent, I'm the top investor, I'm the top whatever it is um, because you don't believe it yet. You have to believe it and you typically need some sort of practical experience to do that. Yeah, and uh, I'll read uh, my final few questions for you today have to do with your own personal, personal life. I know you've got some kids and you're married, so I'm wondering what sort of an example you want to set both personally and professionally for your kids uh, to emulate how important is that to you? It, it's extremely important. I have I have a beautiful wife and have three kids um, between the ages of seven and, and 13. Um, and God I'm, bless your heart for that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, and they're, they're amazing. They're, I run a, a family investment business and, and that's it. It's my wife, my three kids, and a few virtual assistants. But the reality is I want to keep them involved as much as possible. I want to you know pass on the knowledge that I've obtained um, through 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 trials and errors, right? And 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 so hopefully they can, um, you know, not it's not the money, it's not the wealth, it's the knowledge that's most important. Um, and I talked about the various phases of my life, and I'm in a phase that I, I think I, I am in a legacy building phase. I think I do want to uh, spend most of my time, um, you know, giving back, and so it's been rewarding, uh, kind of thinking about how can we shift our, even our business strategy, investment strategies to, to give back more. And, and that's really one of the reasons why I, although I wrote this book, um, the cash flow breakfast club about three years ago, I never actually published it. I wrote it because it was kind of a step-by-step -step manual of what I thought, or uh, what I actually did to become financially free. And what I think anyone really could do to become financially free in not that long of time through real estate investing. And, um, and then really, it's in the last year, my wife encouraged me, a few other people encouraged me to uh, get it published. So it's actually be being published this year. Um, and, and it's everything that anyone can do. It's basically if, if someone asked me to coach them or be a mentor on the investing space, it's, it's what I go through them for over a five-year period, basically, to help them uh, achieve financial freedom. So that's been rewarding. It's been a project uh, I've been doing with my wife, and, and we think that's going to make a pretty big impact as well. And then we're shifting our, our investing focus and spending a lot more time um, you know, offering more free coaching, free training 
thing just to help as many people as possible. Um, my kids are involved in all of that. So when we do the free uh, education seminars about once a month, typically one of the kids are there. They're part of it, just helping get set up, helping actually even providing input on the weekends. Um, I take them out with me and we, they go see properties with me. They're, they're seeing our renovation projects. So um, everything I do is around family. Although I'm business focused, I, I really uh, understand that I do need to involve them uh, into my world. Um, so that way we, we have that connection. And it's been, it's been very rewarding um, over the last uh, few years doing that. Yeah, generational wealth coming in all different types of forms, isn't it? Absolutely. And yeah, and I'll be my final question for you has to do with if they make your life into a movie, what do you think the title of that movie would be? And what would you want the plot line, plot line to be uh, to define your legacy? Oh, that's a really good one. Uh, so my legacy, a movie. I mean, right now, I, I guess it would probably be this Cash Flow Breakfast Club because uh, that that speaks to what my mindset is right now. It's it's all around that, and it speaks about the the uh, the free knowledge, the, the the coaching, the mentoring, the the masterminds that are so important in life, even if it's not investing, but just in life, no matter what. Uh, discipline you're in, if you can find really good mentors, really good coaches, really good masterminds, you can succeed at a high level. And it's a narrative, a story on that. So it'd probably be somewhere in that cash flow breakfast club, speaking of financial freedom, uh, turn it into a movie, probably. A fabulous. So tell me finally, how many people want to get connected with you? What's the best way they can do that? Yeah, Omni, the investor guy. Um, I'm on uh, most of the social media cha channels, Facebook, Instagram, um, omnitheinvestorguy.com is my website. Uh, you can uh, sign up for pre-order of the book if it's not out yet. Um, that's coming out soon. And, and try to put some helpful free video training content that I do uh, tied there as well. So if you have any questions, I'm pretty good at responding to inquiries within a reasonable amount of time and, and happy to help. Fantastic. Well, Adi, I really enjoyed ending my week. Having a conversation with you about real estate investment, your work in the space and time on my behalf is most appreciated. And I want to thank you for engaging in the conversation with me, taking my questions and for being here this afternoon it's, or this morning. It's most appreciated. Kevin, it was it was very fun. Thank you for inviting me on.